Welcome to Fucking Cancelled, a podcast about what the left is like, what to do about it, and what it'll be like once we've done it. Today we are joined by Dr. Maria Paredes, a licensed trauma therapist and certified eating disorder specialist from the United States. We discuss cancel culture as it relates to therapy, why it's important for therapists to understand cancel culture, and the process of seeking a therapist who is supportive of canceled people. Welcome back to Fucking Cancelled. Welcome back to Fucking Cancelled. Um, today we are joined by Dr. Maria Paredes, a friend of the pod, a dog owner I hear. <laughs> and Two dogs, yeah. <laughs> and also um, a licensed therapist, a trauma therapist, and a certified eating disorder specialist. Did I get that right? Yes, thank you. Amazing. Yeah. Yes. Um, so welcome to the pod, Maria. Thanks for coming Thanks on. for having me. Yeah. You know, I just got emotional just as you were saying that um, because finding your pod was so helpful to me. So, and now here you. you are on the pod. Yeah. yeah I, <laughs> I first uh, came across Maria's work like about a year ago, I think. It was around Christmas time last year. Um, I... Um, I'm just listening to the dog situation. Yeah. Yeah. I'll try to mute him when I'm not talking. <laughs> okay. Um, I also have a dog as everybody knows. So I do, I have sympathy. It's really hard. I can't really record the podcast with my dog around because she will be too noisy. Um, so I get it. Um, but yeah, so I basically, um, I came across Maria's work um, on Instagram. I don't even know how I originally found you, but somebody must have shared it and it came across my feed And Maria was um, writing a lot about cancel culture and the experience of cancellation. And so we kind of got connected then. And then we've gotten to know each other over the past year. Um, And we're excited to have Maria on the pod because we really wanted to talk to a therapist about all of this. Totally. um, Because for lots of reasons that we're going to get into. But, you know, one of the things that we're we're always recommending um, is that, you know, people get therapy. You know, I'm a big... I'm a big advocate for therapy. Um, I think it really helps people to work through shit. And I think that cancel people, because they're super traumatized by their experience, like very much need therapy. But then we also see weird phenomenon like uh, therapists canceling people online. So it creates a weird dynamic um, where, you know, therapists don't always know how to help cancel people. Canceled people don't always know if they can trust therapists. There's some therapists that are literally canceling people. There's therapists that are being canceled. So it's like a whole, it's a whole thing. So we wanted to talk to a therapist about this. So before we get into all the questions, Marina, do you just want to like tell our audience a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. Yeah. So um, I have a private practice. I have a group private practice and we specialize in disordered eating and body image, trauma. Um, We also do a lot with infertility, pregnancy loss. um, And we also do a lot with immigration hardship. So individuals who are facing deportation or seeking asylum, which to me like connects to all this too, like this idea of like, you know, when governments or legislation is like canceling people or 
keeping people from being able to be with their families, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I also teach at the local university to teach and train counselors to be counselors. Um, so that's that. And, um, and then, you know, if you've been following my page, you know, that I've shared that I went through, a um, went through, I'm going through, there's still things that are happening. Um, public cancellation that was really impactful. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, do you think you could define cancel culture for our listeners the way that you see it? Cause you know, people have different definitions and stuff. Yeah, sure. And, you know, I was like sitting thinking about like, how can I offer something different than what you already have done? Because you, you all have, you know, it, it's, I feel like your podcast is like a, a syllabus for people like go and <laughs> go and listen, you'll learn all about it. Um, I'm I like, could I propose a class on cancel culture? Would that fly at my university? I don't think so. But you know, we'll see one day. Um, but I think it encompasses a lot of different things. Obviously, people define it in so many different ways. But if I had to boil it down, like, I feel like there's an abstract and then the concrete like abstract is, I think it's a form of foreclosure of curiosity and foreclosure of belief in the capacity and possibility and goodness of others, right? Like, to me, it's like the opposite of curiosity. We, we maintain curiosity. We are curious about like who this person is. Why are they the way they are? Why did they do the thing they did? Or, or what else might I not know, right? When right. we foreclose curiosity, it's like there's no more information coming in, right? So mm-hmm. I feel like it's a foreclosure in our belief in fellow human beings. Um, but concretely, like, what does it look like? Like in action, it's ostracization, it's in incitation or instigation organizing of groups of people going after individuals, you know, whether through like organized boycott, shunning, and I mean, you guys know all this intimidation, harassing, stalking, cutting people off from communities, spreading lies, spreading misinformation. Um, you know, and it, it, I think, I think it's, I find it really silly that people <laughs> want to say it doesn't exist. I know you guys have talked about that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then defend it and say it's a tool but it doesn't exist and when we all know i'm like can we just be honest like we all know what we're talking about here and we all know that we don't want to experience it and that people go to great lengths to try to avoid it you know you know even even go to lengths to cancel other people to try to avoid getting canceled themselves totally totally yeah Yeah. thanks for that definition it's such a crazy dynamic trying to uh talk about this with people who just like insist simultaneously that it's like a powerful tool um also that it's not effective at all and also that it doesn't exist i saw Um, there was an article in the guardian the other day that was like is it time to cancel cancel culture but like but like their 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 take was that like cancel culture like doesn't work well enough like (laughs) yeah anyways yeah and i think i think that um the specifics, like, I really like your definition about curiosity. I think that's really beautiful and um, very abolitionist of you. Like, it's mm-hmm. a it's a beautiful perspective. Um, but also, yeah, like, the concrete specifics of, like, the organized harassment, um, you know, and the, the social exile are just things that people kind of want to pretend isn't a real thing. Right. And yet we all simultaneously know that it is a real thing. So, right. Well, um, so- and... Sorry, I was going to add too, like that, well, and what you just said, and I know you're like into parts work or IFS, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think I've seen you write about that. Like, that's a big part of the work I do. And and with eating disorder work and body image work and trauma work, 
you know, so much of it is about helping people stop canceling parts of themselves, right? And helping people integrate. And so like, when I think about like how cancel culture, it's like, it separates individuals from community, from other people, but more worrisome to me is it separates people from themselves because it's taking away their connection to their own narrative and their own ownership of their narrative. Um, and when people get disconnected from themselves, there's all sorts of kinds, but extreme disconnection is where we believe we no longer deserve to live, right? We yeah. should not be here. And so it's like, theoretically, it just doesn't make sense to me, you know, for us to be doing this for a therapist, particularly to be doing this. I know we're going to talk about that more. But. Yeah, that's fascinating. And um, we have a series on this podcast called Fucking Feelings, where I'm going to be explaining, <laughs> where I'm going to be explaining <laughs> like therapeutic concepts um, for people. And mm -hmm. I do want to do one on IFS in the future, because mm -hmm. I actually think that there's a lot of interesting things that could be said about internal family systems and cancel yes. culture. Um, but yeah, so I guess we just wanted to ask, you've already said a little bit about it, but um, how did you become involved with the topic of cancel culture? And what drew you to start being a public uh, critic? of cancel culture and advocate for canceled people? Yeah, so I mean, more recently in the past year, I was much more vocal because I went through it and it had such a profound impact on me and my family and my the people who work for me. Um, but but I had been writing about it years ago too, like in, in spurts and, um, you know, it's like, what, why was I drawn to this? Because part of me feels like all therapists should be against this. Mm -hmm. Like all therapists should understand this, but, but they don't. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people who are therapists who are, participating at or leading the way, which is just crazy to me. Um, but like, why do I care about this? And part of it is I grew up with someone, I grew up with a loved one, not trying not to be specific to protect their whatever, but um, who was chronically suicidal and, and then someone else who was, um, you know, narcissistic and there was abuse involved and whatnot. So I grew up with complex trauma and like seeing that, like, these are people I love. Right. And, you know, the same person who, um, I experienced a lot of, you know, um, bad things from, it's, it's even hard for me to say the word abuse, even though whatever, but um, also is this person who I love very dearly and who mm -hmm. also did a lot of good things. Right. And so I feel like, and, and that together with, I speak Italian and Spanish and trap, you know, grew up going to where my, you know, um, part of my family's from in Italy. Like when you are forced to see two different things existing at the same time, I feel like, or, or forced to think, like I know Jay, you're bilingual, like I feel like it, it increases your capacity to be able to think in nuanced ways and to think, whoa, like this, like this doesn't make sense, this all or nothing black or white thinking, like there's more to the story, right? Um, so I think that's part of it, like, and, and seeing someone too who was chronically suicidal and, and I mean, it could tell you how, for how many years you know, having fears that this person's going to take their own life. Um, and I have my own history of mental health and suicidality and whatever. Um, you know, it's a really big thing, you know, and I feel like people like minimize it or laugh at it. I mean, call it dramatic online. And I, I just, I think it's the grossest thing. And um, learning more and more about how the impact of this really does increase people's suicidality mm -hmm. and makes people question just wanting to live, wanting to be here. I don't understand why more people don't care about it and why more people don't understand how dangerous it is. Mm -hmm. And it's not like, it's like, oh, okay, well we have that risk, but look at how much good it's doing, but it's not doing good. Right. Like, you yeah. know, it's like, I, I would at least maybe mm -hmm. be able to say like, okay, I can get on board if it was like also doing like really good and like really leading to progress and change, but it's not. And it's doing a lot of harm and, and creating danger for folks. Totally. For sure. 
yeah, it's really important to start, I think, getting the the emotional impact of, of cancellation um, into the popular consciousness a little bit. Because mm-hmm. um, it does help to like rehumanize the people who are being dehumanized when you are forced to like consider, yeah, what their emotional landscape looks like. Um, right. Yeah, and there's such a right. huge, huge resistance to that. I posted, I reposted recently on my Instagram my post about cancel culture being a suicide risk because it's mm-hmm. like so obviously a suicide risk because it's so, like yes, it's like there's like a list of things that are like major stressors in your life that like will if anyone has mental health issues any one of those stressors on their own will increase somebody's risk of suicidality like right. you know like losing a major relationship or like losing employment or like whatever like major uplift like you know like upheavals in your life right and cancel culture like includes basically like just like all of them, just, at, like, once. All of them at once while totally. you also simultaneously are experiencing like dehumanization and harassment and slander and all of these things, it's like literally one of the worst things that somebody could go through. And, and on a massive scale, yeah. like on a scale that our brain is not able to, like we, we're not built, you know, totally. like um, from a neuroscience perspective to handle that kind of massive input. And the thing like the, you know, there's so many things like you just said, but the thing that I think is the biggest part of it that creates risk is, is the lack of hope, right? Which mm-hmm. we know the lack of hope is the hallmark of suicide, right? Yeah. Like deciding to give up or even deciding, but like not deciding, but even feeling compelled toward giving up, feeling like there's no way out of your situation, feeling trapped. So like as a therapist, one of the things we assess for is future orientation, right? So mm-hmm. like if we're assessing suicidality, if I have a college student who, you know, they have some risk, they're talking about whatever depressed they're talking about whatever, but they mention like, yeah, I'm looking forward to going to my grandfather's party or, you know, like, and yeah, and in three weeks we're going to that show. Just that alone, the fact that they're thinking about the future is a protective factor, right? Like it, it, sure. it gives me like some hope. So like, I think it, like, it's like their brain hasn't yet given up. Their brain is still imagining things to come. Mm-hmm. Well, when cancel culture happens and it's shutting down like yeah. these avenues, like completely, it makes it that much harder to imagine a future, to imagine Absolutely. like what's to come. So right. if you're in this state and you're like, everything's cut off and there's no future and there's nothing to look forward to, this avenue is cut off, you're going to be in a much more risky place to think about and to pursue suicide. For sure. It really forecloses like, like so much of the future. Like it, it makes it impossible mm-hmm. to imagine the different options, um, especially because like since so much of it is based online it's like you can't even like move you know like right exactly because um, it follows you like basically wherever you go yeah and like oh, a lot yeah. of people like we've talked to a lot of people who have like literally like you know moved to like non-english speaking countries and stuff mm-hmm. so that like they're just not going to be around people who can wow. even the things that are around, uh, that are being written about them um we just have a follow-up question to that one yeah prior to your own cancellation was cancel culture itself on your um radar at all um, it was, and there's a story and I actually like texted this friend to ask if I could sit name her, but I can't, you, you would know this person's <laughs> name, but um, like it was, and, um, but not, you know, not necessarily in the ways, I mean, I think it's really ramped up right in the last like year or so, obviously, but, um, but this is something that's been present in different ways, trashing in the seventies. I mean, we, we could go way back the 1700s. I mean, this is not a, like a new phenomenon of people going after people in this kind of way. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I was at a conference, you know, a few years ago and there were two people who are like well-known people in whatever field. And I was hanging out with them, like, and I was eager to like talk with them. It was nice to whatever. And someone actually three people approached me, um, to warn me not to be seen with one of these individuals. Like, don't you know that they were being, that they were canceled online and like all this stuff would happen. And, and, you know, like you may not want to be seen with them. And I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about, but this is, I'm enjoying 
talking with this person. And to me, this is like grade school bullying, right? Yeah. Like I, I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't need to know, even if whatever you're talking about is true. Like I'm not worried about being seen with this person, right? So fast forward, the person who warned me has since like was one of the people who was like so hugely supportive of me this past year and remembers warning me about that person and feels like, as I said, like, I feel so stupid that I did that. And the person who I was warned about became one of the most instrumental people in helping me navigate this and connecting me with resources. And, um, and it's fascinating, like seeing that it makes me think of like, like, how do we help people? And I'm like, one of the things you guys have done connecting people who've gone through this with each other, Mm -hmm. I think has been so important because if you haven't been through it, it's so hard to understand what it's like. So being able to see like, Oh my gosh, like they get it. And they're describing it. Like I've listened to podcast episodes of yours and just cried and gone, Oh my gosh, they're capturing exactly what it felt like or feels like. Um, sorry, I feel like I'm going on tangent. No, no. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting, right? Because it's like the whole like association means cancellation thing. So like people are afraid to associate with people who've been canceled, obviously. And I think that, you know, people who have been canceled can sometimes feel a fear about associating with other canceled people because it's like, it like adds to your cancellation. And like, I am associated with so many canceled people, right? Because like, we're just like magnets for canceled people. So like my name is like associated with, I'm friends with and have relationships with and connections with so many canceled people. Um, And so it's just like snowballs my own cancellation because like I'm like affiliated with these people. But it's actually like one of the things that I, I, I think that canceled people should do is seek out connections with other canceled people because mm-hmm. it's always helpful to have relationships with people who like understand what you're going through, right? Totally. I, yeah. I also think like we should be trying to reach out and connect with all sorts of different people, like, right? Like whether we've yeah. been canceled or not, like I even hear, like I've heard therapists at different points say things like in the States, like, you know, oh, well, I, I couldn't work with someone who voted for Trump, you know? And I'm like, what are you talking about? I work with people who voted for all sorts of different people. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like what does that even mean? And we're talking like, you're talking millions of people. Like you're not going to provide therapy to these millions of people because they voted for someone different that, like, and obviously they're going to say there's more to it than that. But like, I'm in this field to help people. I don't yeah. go, Oh, I'm only going to help these people. I'm going to only help people who think the same as me. Like I'm only going to, if they voted the quote right way and that I just don't, I don't get it. And I even think, you know, um, like even for folks who are incarcerated, like my dad was a, a counselor and he was a vocational counselor, you know, he's worked in the jails trying to help people get careers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like it doesn't add up like the same people who want to get rid of the criminal justice system and then, you know, less people incarcerated are the same people who are wanting these cancellation campaigns to go. And it it doesn't make any sense from a theoretical perspective. No, it makes no sense. Makes no sense. Um, So why do you think that it is important for therapists to have a good understanding (laughs) of cancel culture? Um, so like, duh, it's the work we do. I'm not saying duh to you, but like, <laughs> like we're in this field to help people, right? Like um, to help people access more of their lives, to help people uh, not commit suicide, to be more mentally well, to help people access more health in whatever way that means. Um, I mean, it's in our code of ethics, right? To like not exploit others in, you know, professional relationships or otherwise. There's even a code of ethics. I looked it up before. I was like, I'm trying to find out. It was unwarranted complaints. Counselors do not initiate, participate in, 
or encourage the filing of ethic complaints that are retaliatory in nature or made with reckless disregard or willful ignorance of facts that would disprove the allegation, right? Wow. So it's, it's even in our code of ethics that like, if you don't have enough information or like you have it, but you just don't care and you're doing this in a retaliatory way, which that's almost every one that I've seen, there's some form of like interpersonal disconnect that's really at the root of why they're going after this person. Yeah. Like it, it, it's not, you know, it's not ethical. And, and, and two, to, why do we have a good understanding is because we know in Christine Marie's work, your, that episode is one of, was one of my favorites on yours. Like we know that these have a mental health impact in individuals. So duh, therapists need to know what that looks like and how to help people through it because otherwise we're not gonna be able to do our job. So based on your own experiences, but also of course with your, on, on your work with your clients, um, what are some of those emotional and mental impacts of, uh, of cancel culture on people? Yeah, I mean, what I'm seeing, and, and again, you know, Dr. Christine Marie captured a lot of that in her dissertation and on your episode, like it's, you know, so many of the symptoms of trauma, um, but yeah, it's, you know, this is not something that's included in our current DSM, mm -hmm. you know, diagnostic criteria, um, but hypervigilance, right, you know, um, that sort of paranoia, hypervigilance that, um, that everyone knows. I mean, and, you know, what's hard about this is like, when, when this happens, it feels like everyone knows. And there's some truth to that in terms of some of your communities. And then some of that's not true, but it's, it's hard to really grasp that or feel like there's hope outside of that because in the circles, wherever you are and it's happening, it feels like it's pretty much everyone, right? And also um, everyone could find out. That's the other piece too, where right. it's like, even yes. if you find people, so sometimes public. I would rather that they do know because then it's like, I can yes. find out right away if yes. I can trust them. But if they don't know, and then I start developing a relationship with them and then they find out, you know, so that disclosure conversation is actually like a major point of like stress for me, but it's something I feel like I have to do because I actually feel absolutely people who don't know, because I don't know how they're going to respond when they do know. Totally. Absolutely. And, and I experienced a tremendous amount of hypervigilance. I mean, when you guys like reached out to me at one point, um, you know, to sort of provide support, I don't know if you remember, I was like oh, yeah. scared to talk to you. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> Like, I don't, I don't know who to trust, you know, but I mean, my hypervigilance was so high. And I mean, um, two of my kids go to a school that is like section eight housing, low income, predominantly black. And, you know, um, in the midst of some of my cancellation, like I was having to broach conversations with some of their friends' parents, like, because I wasn't sure who was seeing it. Right. My thing was done in such a public way on the internet, but also locally. And, I, you know, one of the, some of the kids' parents go to the same church as someone that was part of this. And, um, and so like having to broach this conversation with the moms, you know, who black women, like, Hey, I don't know if you saw this, if you have any questions, I'm happy to talk about it. It's a very, I don't even know the word awkward, weird thing. And they're like, are you kidding me? Fuck that. You know, like, like they were just like, this is ridiculous. We know who you are. Like feel completely safe with our kid being at your house. Like, you know what I mean? Like, but yeah. it, the, just to highlight the hypervigilance, it, it, it makes it hard to know what's real. And that's again, a hallmark of trauma, like what's real and what's not. Um, certainly disruption in sleep and hunger cues in homeostatic function, right? Like, um, during some of the worst of mine, I was forgetting to eat. I, um, you know, like with a family member who was living with us who would just bring food up to me because I was going like till the afternoon. Like I, cause I, I was so disconnected 
from my hunger cues, from my sleep, like everything, right? Like um, it really fucks with all that. Um, I'm hearing that from a lot of my clients, like can't sleep, I can't focus, they're having nightmares, intrusive thoughts, Mm -hmm. certainly depression, suicidality, a lot of dissociation Mm -hmm. and dissociation can look a lot of different ways. I don't remember lots of November last year when I was going through the most of it. And I'm hearing that from clients too. It's like, you know, I I just don't even remember some of it or just feels fuzzy. And to me, that's always a signal, like there's some intense dissociation going on. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it looks a lot like trauma, but, but it, it, it's uniquely different, right? It's not an event trauma. So it's, it's more akin to complex trauma, which is ongoing, but complex trauma ongoing is usually something that did have an end point, yeah, right? Like exactly. it was like across childhood. This is something, maybe we're going to have to come up with new language. It's evergreen, right? Evergreen yeah. trauma. Maybe that's the word, right? Because even <laughs> when it's taken down or ends, there's, you can't take away who's seen this. People can't unsee or unknown. And um, I have even people, colleagues who will tell me, oh yeah, I know it's not true. I know hundred percent it's not true, but, but people think this of you. So I can't publicly associate with you. I'm like, a year later, like wh- when does this end? Like when yeah. will you be able to actually like publicly talk to me or something, you know? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. It's, it, I agree that like, I mean, the DSM hasn't even caught up to the existence no. of uh, like developmental, like complex no, no. even in itself. But I agree that like there needs to be a way to talk about because the, the, the trauma model that is like, first, you must have a certain degree of safety in the present in order right. to actually start to, to heal from the trauma is complicated by ongoing situations right. that you can't escape from. And with cancel culture, if you are targeted in such a way, like for me, there's been like several waves, right? And each one I'm like, damn, like I was not seeing that coming. Like they just made it so much weirder and so much more intense. Um, and it, it can just, you know, new losses, new accusations, new new traumas that are going to keep coming um and so trying to build a container of safe enough to actually start to do some of the healing work when that kind of thing is like unpredictable and still going on is like a unique challenge that i think yeah like and i don't think cancel culture is the only example of that i think that there's other examples of 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 ongoing um traumas but i think we Mm -hmm. definitely need to be doing some um some more work on that front in terms of figuring out better tools um so um, talk to us about the phenomenon of therapists canceling each other, or also just therapists canceling people in general on the internet, because it is a very weird phenomenon that I have seen. It's a yeah. very weird phenomenon. I think it's absolutely ridiculous. I think it's not ethical. It's not in alignment with our codes of ethics. Um, I'd love to say that because of the work that we do, that therapists are somehow more enlightened or healed. Um, sometimes that's true. Like some of us have had a lot of fucking therapy and, you know, savvy in that way. But um, but there's a whole lot of unhealed, unaware people in the field. Um, and sometimes I think folks in the field are, you know, are um, the worser, you know, actors in it, right. In terms of what they're doing. Um, you know, I was thinking about like, why is this too? And, and specifically with, with therapy and like self-help in general, um, like because of tech and access to like business info and training, mm-hmm. it's so much easier to have a private practice, for example, like years ago, um, it was so much harder, right? Like, because when we go to school, we learn to be therapists, we learn to be, you know, helpers, whatever. We don't learn how to market and how to right. run a business and all that kind of stuff. Well, now there's like so much out there that's easy. I can go watch three hours on YouTube and learn how to run a business and and it's it's great, right? It, it helps yeah. in a lot of ways. But what I've seen is because of that, it's it's almost like, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna sound like an old like everyone needs to do their time, but like 
you know, um, I'm seeing less and less people go and work in like right. community mental health and get right. experience. Whereas like now folks are graduating and opening their business. And I, I don't want to sound like I'm poo-pooing all that. Some people are doing really great work in doing that, but I think there's less and less folks who are spending time seeing people they don't want to see, seeing people that they have to, you know, like private practice, I can choose. I don't want to work with this fine or I want to work with these kind of, you know, like yeah. pick and choose. You go and you work like in inpatient psychiatric or, you know, hospice or whatever. Um, you're forced to have to work with a lot of different kinds of people right. and, yeah. and really hard cases. And I think as a, someone who trains and teaches, I think that's really valuable because I think it opens your mind about like the work and and I feel like because of this too, people getting in this, now there's more competition between therapists. Like yes. it's a very scarcity thinking, like we're competing for clients. It's something that I, I really tried to not do. There are plenty of people hurting. There are too many people hurting. Yeah. And I don't want to ever think, oh, I'm competing with Joe Smith, who has a private practice over there. I want to think, hey, we're both trying to help as many people as we can. We're not going to be able to meet the need. There's no. too many people. Um, but there's a lot of folks who don't think in that way, who really are functioning from a scarcity, like I'm competing with every other therapist out here. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that's contributed to this, like why there's more of this, like yeah. kind of, you know. It also seems like there's a, yeah, like a trend of um, creating a, an ideologically branded therapy practice, mm-hmm. you know, um, to, to, to match with clients who are part of your like ideological camp, you know. Um, yeah, which can be which I think contributes a lot to this kind of thing as well. Because you're a lot of people are trying to sort of like prove their social justice bona fides, right? Right. Yeah, and, and I think like, you know, it depends, right? Like um, knowing, you know, um, I have clients who, you know, are able to see like, oh, you've got someone who's, you've got whoever who's queer here, whoever who's non-binary um, or someone, you know, we have, we have therapists who identify as fat or identify as whatever it might be, Korean, bilingual, right? Like that does provide for some clients an immediate sense of safety. Um, and I think there's, there's room for that to be really important without that clouding the ability to see that individual as an individual who, sure. who even if we share all these things, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be the best therapist for you. You know, like right. it, it might help with some of that initial, but it, it it's not necessarily going to help with everything. Um, I've seen that even as I've aged y'all, like when I was younger, I looked much younger. Like I always looked younger than I was. Um, and teens used to respond much better to me right. as I've aged. Like now I work with teens still, but like it's more maternal, like what they project onto me. Right. And um, our field has moved away from what we call psychodynamic models of therapy. And I think that that's hurt us to some degree because there's less therapists who are as attuned to the psychodynamic nature of like what projections are my clients putting on me, right? right. Like I walk in a room and I see you. And, oh, you look like me. And I may not even be aware that I'm projecting like all my mom stuff onto you or all my whatever stuff onto you. And I think some of those, like to what you're saying, Jay, like sometimes there's too much emphasis on matching with identity to the deficit of being able to maybe separate and do that kind of work. Yeah. Or, I mean, not even just identity, but like ideology in particular, you know, like it's the same thing as people being like, I won't, I won't treat like a Trump supporter or something like that. And just being like, yeah, like uh, 40% of the population of the United States is like not fit to be like my client or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's crazy. I also think, sorry. Go ahead. I also think, um, you know, with everything you were saying about, you know, like we're living under capitalism 
it's a business, it's a job. And then the way that that intersects with social media and like the hustle, and then everybody's scared of getting canceled. And if you have a business and you are trying to keep your business afloat, you know, and obviously like you're trying to do good work that you believe in as well, but you're also trying to like, you know, pay your bills and survive under capitalism and you're a therapist and that's what you do. It's not just therapists, but it's like everybody whose business is somewhat online, you know, whether you're a writer or a musician or a therapist or whatever, like we're all online now, you know, using social media to sort of promote what we're doing. And we're all in danger of being canceled. And so because of that, it's like many people are like making sure they're posting about this or they're making sure that they're not mm-hmm. posting about that to protect themselves, right? You have to. And so, degree. yeah, you do because otherwise you'll be and, targeted. And it's at the deficit of actual work, right? Like yeah, I'm like, sure. you're wasting time doing that. And there's actually people who need material change, who need yeah. support. And this is a waste. Like, and, oh, and it's yeah. very, it's very narcissistic or it's very centered on, on, they're on themselves versus like the work that they're doing and yeah. anyway yeah. but yeah like, but I think the, the fear is real like it's material which you've experienced and we've experienced right that like when you do get canceled when you when you did post or didn't post about the thing you do get canceled and right. so um it's kind of self-perpetuating in that way right because it's like absolutely of course there's people who like go out of their way to start a cancel campaign Right. But there's also people who just sort of signal boosted it or quietly unfollowed, right. Right. which is often coming from a less malicious place and a more like self-preservation place. But that doesn't make it um, any less of a betrayal or any less hurtful. But like, I also can imagine that those dynamics are playing out with therapists being like, oh, no, I have to make the decision of whether or not to take part in this cancellation of another therapist or someone else right. in the community. And like, I am not just weighing this in my own ethics, but I'm weighing right. this like from a business perspective of like, is this going to tank my my business. Right. Well, and, and, you know, it's for the work I do, it's both like counseling clients, right. But it's also clinical supervision clients. So for therapists, you know, we have to, um, you know, to become fully licensed, we have to receive a certain amount of like clinical supervision. Right. So for my supervisees, I'm like watching their counseling sessions, like a certain number of them and giving them feedback. And it'll be like sometimes two to four years where, where I'm doing that. And I've actually had, um, I'm editing a little bit. <laughs> I've actually had uh, supervisees of uh, the uh, at least one or two of the people who participated in my cancellation reach out to me to tell me that they're being supervised by them and that they they're afraid to stop because they saw what happened to me and they're afraid that the person's going to cancel them. So so what that tells me is so this person's in supervision. And that's like, a, it's very akin to counseling, like clinical supervision. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's, you know, it's deep, it's intimate. You're exploring things. It's the space where you're really supposed to look at everything, right? All yeah. the ugly, all whatever. If you're in there and you don't feel comfortable being honest about what, and you're afraid that your supervisor is going to cancel you, that's, that's, that's not good supervision, really bad. you know? That's really bad. And it's, I mean, it's like, it's funny because these types will go on and on about like power dynamics based on like mm-hmm. whatever like identity they can possibly think of. But like, will completely ignore the power dynamic of like flexing your power like right. online and destroying someone's life like publicly right. and then and then being like oh yeah but like you know th- I probably won't do this to you <laughs> right right um, well right yeah yes the it's it's not just the cancellation of the individual it it's um it's funny because you know, we, we had another another American school shooting you know this week and you know one of the things they were talking about charges was like the charge against the individual for like you know, murdering or whatever, but then also there's charges about domestic terrorism. And I was thinking about this with cancellations. It's not just the targeted person that they're canceling. Right. It's the fear that they create for the all these yeah. hundreds, hundreds of thousands of people 
you know, all those folks are impacted. And, you know, early on, I, I really didn't have empathy for that. Like, I was like, whatever, you're not the one being canceled. Right. I have grown to have more empathy for the level of fear it has created and all yeah. the people who watched it happen and didn't and felt powerless to do anything. Absolutely. Maria, in your opinion, what stance should therapists have about <laughs> cancel culture? And also, how should they communicate that to their clients? I mean, I think they should be against it. I think they should recognize what a suicide risk it is. Um, they should recognize it's not ethical to participate. Um, in general, like, you know, we're not supposed to impose our values on clients, right? Um, you know, and um, I just lost my train of thought, but like, how, how should we communicate it to clients? I don't, I don't know that we should be communicating it to clients. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know that we should have a stance as much as we should just be providing space. I don't know if that makes sense, like that we should be against it, but that's not something we need to be like leading with. Like we're just supposed to support the client wherever they are. We're not supposed to be pushing them in whatever direction, right? Like, yes, if someone's doing something, you know, like um, there are times where let, let's say like, again, I have to, I have to assess risk to themselves. I have to assess risk to someone else, right? Are they a homicidal risk to someone else, right? Um, is someone else in threat? This is a murky area. Like I, I can't, I'm not going to report someone because they're planning on canceling someone right but but within the relationship in 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 a real authentic relationship um you know there are things that i'm going to challenge sometimes or you know like um confront them with not in an aggressive way but like hey i'm hearing you say this i'm hearing you say that you want to pursue more um stable and regulated relationships but i also hear that you're you know going after someone online in a way that seems self-sabotaging you know like um, so there might be times I'm doing that, but I don't know that I'm going to be leading either way. Like my stance doesn't really, I know, I feel like I'm saying two different things. My stance doesn't really matter in the same way that my values should matter. I don't think people should be imposing their values on their clients in that kind of way. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, right? Because, um, um, we have a bunch of questions and I'm kind of afraid we're going to like break the order of them and go in a bunch of different orders just organically. So sorry if we get a bit confused because it's just sort of going in in the direction that it's going in. But because one of the things um, that is interesting for me, okay, I'm going to say two things because you're bringing up two things for me. One is that um, I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I think it's relevant. I'll say it now that I basically falsely accused my ex-partner of being abusive. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't start a cancel campaign against them, but I basically did call them abusive to a number of people. And I didn't think that I was lying. I had basically internalized the belief that this unhappy relationship was abusive. Um, And it was my therapist who I've been working with for many years. I'm still working with her who challenged me on that. um, And who actually said um, that was an unhappy relationship, not an abusive one. And it is important for you to know the difference. And I think that that was like a hugely important intervention, um, that I really needed to hear as somebody with complex PTSD, who has a hard time discerning the difference, you know? Yes. Yes. Um, so that was really helpful. But then also one of the things that that brings up for me is that she was like kind of high key putting herself in danger of being canceled by me Hmm. because it's Mm -hmm. like, if right. I wanted to go on the internet and blast my therapist, which I don't right. because, you know, she's a very ethical person who's helped me a lot. 
But if I wanted to go on the internet and blast my therapist and say that she like, whatever was gaslighting me or was like denying right. the reality of my abuse, right. I could easily do that and potentially destroy her life. So I think about and, how and that- she would have little recourse, right? She'd have right. little recourse to be like able none. to, yeah. And it's right. crazy because it's like, actually abuse has a definition. It's not just right. a subjective experience because if it was, then that's terrifying for people with right. trauma because we, right. we constantly think that we're in danger when we're not. That's literally right. the nature of what it means to have trauma. Um, and so she was, you know, providing me that feedback based on real information that I had given her. And it was a true assessment of the situation based yes. on facts, you know, um, but still she was putting herself in danger. So I think about that in terms of like how cancel culture might affect and impact the, the actual help that therapists feel comfortable giving to their clients because right. of this, this threat of a public takedown. Yes. Um, so that was one thought that I had. And then the other, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm like, yes. <laughs> and then the other, yeah, I don't want to go ahead, forget go ahead. thought, but like, I work with a lot of people with complex trauma. Right. And, yeah. and, um, and I, and I teach about this, like a lot of people, um, who meet criteria who might meet criteria for borderline personality disorder, mm -hmm, right. Which mm -hmm. is a really stigmatized diagnosis. Yeah. Um, I think really have complex trauma, right? Like, yeah. you know, there's more to it, whatever. Um, well, so, okay. If you have people whose some of their presenting symptoms is dysregulated relationships, right. Um, and distorted perception about relationship dynamics. Mm -hmm. Um, there absolutely are times where it is our job to hold space for that. And I don't, when I use the word confront, I don't mean it in this like aggressive, like, no. confront, but like to, to bring that to their awareness, right. Yeah. In, in whatever ways I've had clients, um, with complex trauma, stand up and yell at me, threaten to leave. I mean, when you said like canceling, I mean, sometimes people who are really, they do cancel their therapist. And one of the things I talk to my clients about is like, this is hard work, right? Like we're, we're trying to repair the, the attachment fissures that you had, you know, mm -hmm. in, these, in these early times. And to do that, that means sometimes working through really difficult stuff in our relationship, yeah. because our relationship is a container for that, where, where it's the corrective emotional experience for what they experience. And so like, there is some trust in both directions. It, it, it's as much as there's power differentials, um, the therapist is also trusting the client to of some course. degree, right. Yeah. To be able to engage. And, and, and if we're trying to heal attachment fissures, then, then our relationship, my relationship with my client is, is a huge part of the work we're doing. Right. Like, yeah. and so there needs to be some level of, of trust and intimacy in that way. Um, and, and I think cancel culture does not jive with that. Right. Like it, it just doesn't. Totally. It creates a total untrusting, um, environment for everybody because there's yeah. this, always this threat in the background. Um, and then I guess, yeah, the other thing that I wanted to say was just when you're talking about like not having a stance, I totally, I get what you're saying because I think that the, um, the trend of therapists sort of like imposing ideological and political beliefs onto their clients or using the therapy space in a sort of ideological and political way is like quite inappropriate. And, um, disturbing for me, I think, mm -hmm. because I'm like, it's uh, like you said, it's like a person needs therapy, whether or not they voted for Trump, like they need a safe space to come in and go to therapy. This, perpetrators need therapy. Of course. I, you know, I, yeah. I'm not as much in that realm, but like I have friends who the main work they do is working with sexual you know, perpetrators. Um, and, you know, it's like, again, like what are our beliefs about repair? When I worked at, um, during my doc program, I worked um, at an inpatient psychiatric unit for children and adolescents. And, and so kids who were there because they'd experienced tremendous 
physical, emotional, sexual abuse, or assault. And, and usually they're there because maybe they had made a threat towards someone else or towards themselves, right? Or done something. Mm-hmm. And some of these kids would be sexually acting out, right? Like they'd be making kissy lips toward me or doing whatever, right? These are kids who have a lot of issues. Well, they've been abused. We know that not for everyone, but a lot of people who are abused sets them up, right? It changes some of their brain structure and that yeah. they may go on. So are we going to cancel them? Like, at what point do we stop that belief in repair and belief in this is a human being who maybe was really hurt? And so how can we help this person come back to mankind? And cancel culture is so definitive. It's, there's no repair. There's no, like, it's, it's done. Right? Yeah, it literally makes no sense because it's like, obviously, we need to be giving therapy to people who are traumatized and need help yes, and maybe yes. acting in ways that are abusive and so on. Um, yes. but yeah, but what I was going to say, I'm sorry, I'm going, I'm the one going, no, I'm sorry, I'm getting excited. No, no it's okay. I'm going on so many tangents. But so all of that aside with saying that, you know, we need to have a relatively neutral space around ideology in the therapy room. Um, what I'm thinking about is just people who are afraid of being canceled or who have been canceled trusting their therapist to talk about it. Mm. Um, I'm kind of jumping ahead in the questions, but it, it just okay. organically came up because it's like, what happened for me is that I have been mm. with my therapist for like a couple years when I got canceled. And immediately I was like, mm. it really put a rupture in the trust in our relationship because I was like, are you one of them or not? You know? And I didn't feel like I, I felt like I had to defend myself. Yeah. I felt like I was in danger from my therapist because I didn't know where she stood on the issue of cancel culture and whether or not she would agree that I was this horrible, bad person. Right. right. Um, and basically like it was, it was kind of hilarious. She eventually told me that she, she was like, I listened to, uh, true and on, is that what it's called? Yeah. And it's like a dirt, it's like a dirtbag left podcast. I don't even listen to it, but dirtbag left is sort of like, it's it's a type of leftism that is not nexus as we call it yeah. on the show yeah. so her saying that was like her her like sort of like you know like like trust I'm good. Move. yeah like she yeah, was like, yeah i listened to this kind of problematic leftist podcast and i was like okay like i can work with that <laughs> you know yeah um, but like i think for a lot of canceled people or people who even people who haven't been canceled yet but are secretly terrified of it and think it's wrong but don't know how who to talk to about that um, or people who have been canceled, they're really scared of trusting anybody. Yeah, right. And so how do they know that their therapist is going to be like, actually, you're a monster. And what we need to work on in therapy is how much of a monster you are instead of seeing that the person is being victimized. Right. 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 I mean, I, I think it's a good, I think it's a good question. <laughs> and I, I think it's a good question. I, I think it like, I think it's hard because some of these things haven't been defined like like we may, the people who are listening to this podcast, you might have clear definitions of yeah. what it is, but some of these things are not clearly defined in the sort of general realm, right? Like there's still a big disagreement about what even cancel culture means, right? Really? Or how we define it. Worth and so I, I, yeah, right. Right. And, and I think that's, what's hard. It's like, if, if we put like on our website, like we're queer affirming there, there's a, there's a greater public understanding of what that means. Right. Yes. Whereas someone putting like, I'm against cancel culture, not everyone gets that, right? Like yeah. not everyone understands what that means yet. And so I, I, I think we're not caught up with that. I don't, I don't know that there's a good answer of like, how do we do that? I believe like, you know, and I would teach my students this, like um, it shouldn't matter. Like meaning like all therapists, like no matter what my client brings before me, unless I'm like legitimately in danger of being harmed by that client or someone else's or, or their, you know, like I should not be judging anything my client brings to me, right? Like, and I, and I can tell you, like, I've been a therapist a long time. I've heard a lot of shit, man. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I've had 
uh, um, clients who are pastors who have porn addiction, who, who are, you know, like, I mean, again, there's like nuances of how we're assessing is anyone specifically in danger, right? Is there yeah. someone being, hard? you know, but outside of that, like, um, there, I don't know. I just, I, I feel like we're like, like this should be like a no brainer, but unfortunately it's not for everyone. A good therapist is not going to care is like, yeah. meaning is not going to like put judge that. And even of if course. they are, even if they are judging it, right. Like there are times where I have clients where in my head, I'm like, man, like that was really crappy or that was whatever, but I'm making decisions about whether that makes sense to actually name that or bring that based on what we're working on. Right. right. Are we working on that? Or are we working on, right. I don't know, their, their career assessment or something. I don't know. So we, we actually have a lot of uh, listeners of our podcast who are therapists. And I think it's like for some of what we've been talking about, you know, I think that it's a field that runs up against this kind of stuff a lot. Cause mm-hmm. a lot of the time people are you know, discussing their, their closest interpersonal drama, like with, with therapists and also trying to figure out like, um, you know, their, the limits of their like ethical considerations and stuff like that, you know? So I think it gets brought up a lot, but um, yeah. Um, in terms of like clinical, like actual clinical practice, like what, advice might you have for therapists who are working with with a canceled client like how would you support that person yeah i mean um <laughs> i think that i would be checking in often i mean like um does the person need to be seen more often you know like how stable are they what access to supports some of the same things that we would be assessing for anyone who's dealing with a crisis right, right. but understanding that this is going to be ongoing and so there might need to be some revisiting multiple times of of where that person is um you know if you're not someone who gets social media like my therapist um this past year she's retired now she retired y'all she retired on april fool's day um which was like i loved but also was like you motherfucker like um but but she was like this older older woman right like she's been in the field forever didn't have any social media. Right. Um, but she was a really good, really experienced somatically trained trauma therapist. Um, the thing that she did the most for me was listen, right. And let me, she didn't have to understand it. And there were times I had to explain things like, what does it mean that, you know, like likes or, you know, this or that or whatever. Right. Um, but it, that part didn't matter because the, the crux of what she offered me was, was trauma-oriented therapy, right? Creating safety, you know, helping me access grounding, you know, helping me um, be able to reality check, um, you know, not judging, not imposing her values, all that kind of stuff. So I feel like therapists, you know, all therapists should be trauma-informed. That's increasingly happened and didn't used to be that case, but more are. I think being, uh, uh, understanding what complex trauma is, really having a good understanding of dissociative states um, and how to help people ground, um, I also think that it might be helpful to have really good understanding of identity development and deprogramming, because I do think mm-hmm. there's people who are being canceled, who um, their cancellation is initiating uh, some pretty profound changes in their own ideological views, yes. maybe in some good ways. But like, so it's not just that they're dealing with the, the trauma, they're also having to deal with like, um, kind of deprogramming from a way of thinking that might have been a huge part of their identity, you know? For sure. For sure. Yeah, I think that's really important. That's a good point. Um, so that being said, um, what about, what advice do you have for therapists, if any, um, if, if the therapist is basically in the therapy room with a counselor? So if you are um, giving therapy to someone and they start describing, you know, their, their takedown 
of someone. Mm. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, I guess we talked about this a little bit in terms of like, you know, when I was talking about falsely accusing my ex. Um, mm -hmm. But what advice would you have for therapists in terms of, of challenging that at all in the therapy space? Yeah. And, and again, like that's not, unless someone's in imminent danger, it's not reportable, right? Yeah. Like, um, and so there's not like an action that way. Um, I think about it in the same way. Cause like a lot of what we're talking about, it makes me think of, of, you know, of work with a lot of folks with complex trauma or borderline personality disorder, where um, it's, there's often maybe reporting of things that are clearly not, you know, well, healthy actions in their relationships. Right. Um, and, you know, sometimes I, I think it depends. Sometimes it makes sense to directly say, you know, Hey, this, this seems like it doesn't line up with, you know, good ethics or whatever. Right. But, um, but more often I like, I'm thinking like functionality, like, um, how am I going to get this person to get there? And so I'm looking for how to present it in a way that they can start making those connections. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, like I'm hearing you say you value, repair, but I'm seeing you continue to engage in things that are creating these disruptions. I hear that you're saying you value, da, da, da. you know, so some of it's, and there's something called motivational interviewing, like some of it's presenting them with these sort of like things that don't, it's almost like trying to build the dissonance, right? Like right. you're saying this over here, but you're saying this over here, or you're saying this, you're doing this. Um, because if they can get to it themselves and want right. to quote, be better, it's going to make more sense. And some folks, if I'm like, that was wrong that you did that. They're going to fire me. They're not going to come of back. Course. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so, so it's also strategically thinking about like, what's the goal over time of working with this person, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I mean, it, we know this from cancel culture, but just like telling people what you're doing is bad is like not an effective way to get people to change their behavior, but actually getting people to understand the ways that their own behavior is not only, you know, hurtful to others, but in fact is, is hurtful to themselves. I think yeah. we know this you yes. know, in 12 steps and, and working with addicts and stuff like that, that like, you know, just like telling someone, you know, you're being an asshole because you keep getting drunk and screaming at everyone right. is like right. not as helpful as that person, <laughs> um, as that person right. realizing that that is not a very fulfilling way for them to live their life. And often right. like that has to come first. And then eventually the empathy for the people that they have hurt through that behavior comes right. after. So I think right. that that's an interesting. Um, well, and, and yeah. that's the same way, like that we might be building awareness and like, like, let's say someone is engaging a lot of high risk behavior or, you know, um, whatever, something with romantic relationships. And it's, it's the same thing. It's how do we help build their awareness to say like, is this working for you? How does it feel? How do you feel after mm -hmm. the next time that you had unsafe sex that you're concerned about? Like, how does that feel? Right. Because right. again, if they can get it and if they can build that body awareness, but for so many of these people who've had trauma, because I do think a lot of people who initiate cancellations often have trauma themselves, they haven't resolved. Um, they are disconnected from themselves. Right. Right? right. Like, and so we're trying to help them have better connection to, Oh, like what is, what does my body actually want right now? Like what, how does this actually feel? Is this working for me or not? And I don't think cancellations work. Right. Like, and um, what advice might you have for therapists who are encountering cancellation type behavior among their colleagues or like their supervisors, yes. for example? <laughs> um, I. Um, we also recognize that might be a tricky question for you to answer, like professionally. So if you can. No, no. I what I say is like I'll say you know what helped me the most. I'll just I'm going to speak sure. personally, like sure. right going through this. Um, it's hard to capture what it's like to see colleagues that you like 
have met their kids, have had, you know, had them over your house, been gone to dinners, shared whatever, mentored, supervised, you know, like whatever, participated, supported their work, jump on, right? And um, it, I mean, it fucks with your whole sense of identity, right? And like purpose and all that. The, what helped so much were individual providers, some who I knew well, some who didn't, who sent me messages of support without qualifications because some would send things and I'm sure you guys have seen this. Like, oh, yeah. I feel like I could categorize the kind of like apologies, right? Like which ones were genuine, which ones were, you know, like which ones are like just trying to see where, where is everything going to lie? And so they're trying to be strategic. Um, but the ones that were like, that reached out and said, um, I just want you to know that I'm thinking of you and that I hope you're okay. And you know what I mean? Like, and mm-hmm. some people who publicly, continue to support me, right? And, and said, this is wrong. There's no evidence for this. Um, and so I think if you, I hope this is answering your question, Jay, like if you see someone going through this, please reach out to them. Mm. Like, and, and don't demand that they explain. Like I had people emailing, you know, you need to explain what this is before I can support you. <laughs> like, no, I don't, I don't. I actually don't need to explain this to you. Um, so like, yeah, I mean, I just think reach out. Um. So you kind of took an interesting stance um, or like you had an interesting approach to being canceled that I highly vibe with and relate to, which is that you kind of um, owned it in a certain sense, instead of sort of trying to hope, hope that, you know, maybe a lot of people wouldn't see it or something like that. It's not that you posted your own cancellation, but it's that you opposed cancel culture publicly, which is something that I actually think is a very smart move for anybody being canceled because it's it's actually not about whatever it is that they're saying about you. It's about the fact that you're being targeted by a harassment campaign and that is wrong regardless, right? Um, and so basically I wanted to ask what advice, if any, do you have for therapists who are currently um, being canceled themselves? So I, I really do think it depends. Um, you know, I, you know, I share this with you, Clementine, that, that, that I, you know, have my own history of complex trauma. So I've been through some crappy crap shit before. Right. And, (laughs) um, (laughs) how many more craps can, um, and like, I know I already knew this wasn't the first time I was going through something traumatic. You know what I mean? Like I already knew what it is to not have a voice. Um, and I knew that not having a voice or being able to, you know, have ownership of my own narrative was really um, fucking with me, right? Like, and, and, and I'm, you know, my biggest thing was like, holy shit, I need to be present for my kids, you know, mm-hmm. and how can I do this? Um, and, you know, initially I wasn't saying as much. Um, and I, then I was being accused of like, it's violent silence that's violent or whatever. But um, like, I mean, you know, I was being, the fact that I wasn't speaking up at first came back at me too, right? Like she's not, right. it's not you know, whatever, even though I yeah. really kind of had. Um, there was part of me that knew just like with so many of my clients, like, um, and, and Christine, Dr. Christine talked about this, being able to tell your story and recontextualize your narrative is a huge part of trauma healing. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, that's why we have, like, if you look at like the arts, like the, 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 um, the Greco Spartan wars, the Greek tragedies came after that. The Shakespeare came after like the dark ages and the plague, right? Like the blues era came after like slavery. Like there's a lot of things that like, I mean, I'm condensing some things, but like being able to recontextualize your narrative and what's happened to you is essential to being able to heal. Um, And so I knew I I needed to take some of that back. 
I was also inspired by finding resources like yours. I mean, tr I, I mean that it makes me want to cry right now, but like finding your podcast and the work of other people, like helped me feel brave enough. And some of the things that I started writing, I think it was like, it was right before Christmas or something. I think, mm -hmm. um, I had written months, like a couple months earlier, there, there's a period of time earlier. And I had my colleagues and friends supports read them over. We even had like a group zoom call because I was terrified. Like, I mean, I was in such a hypervigilant, terrified state of putting it out there. Mm -hmm. But once I did, it felt so freeing and it felt so much better that I knew, like, I need to follow this. Like, I need to keep going with this. Mm -hmm. But I'll say, like, when I say it depends, I also think there was a lot, like, um, I don't know that it would go the same way for everyone. I, I have a history of um, evidence that speaks to how this stuff was not true, right? Like, in terms of my, like, previous work and collegial relationships and whatever that I think helped me, helped people see like, this doesn't add up. Whereas like, you know, I've come across people have said, or, you know, um, if this was me that was targeted, I don't have all that. I don't have this history of doing social justice work or history of having, you know, um, so many connections with whatever that, that would sort of buffer me, right. I would just be destroyed. And so I don't know that everyone could do the same thing and be okay. Because um, I think that, that, that did help. Like, you know, like people are like, wait, this doesn't make sense. Like, you know, like who she's married to or who her friends are and colleagues or what work she did, what she studied for a district. Like this doesn't make sense. Um, and I think that made it easier for me to speak up and to, you know, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah for sure. Sure. I mean, so I think some people, they have no recourse. They, they are destroyed, right? And, it, you know, yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. And I also, I mean, I'm always thinking about, you know, our listeners. And so in case there are some of those people that are listening. Yeah. Um, right. I'm just like, yeah, I always think that there is a way. Like, yeah. And I think that part of what, um, part of what I've learned from being canceled is that you have to become like, creative right and you have to be mm -hmm. willing to yes. like look for solutions that there might not be like a paper trail like a, a sort of like a, a map laid out for you about what it's going to look like for you or the best way to do it which is why we like to talk to a different people on the podcast about you know their own experiences with it and things like that and share our own experiences but I do think that there is always a way um to yeah like our last episode was called mm -hmm. surviving cancellation like there's always a way to build the life that you want to build it's just going to look differently, like depending on your own circumstance, but I would always yes. recommend um, like talking to other canceled people and, and trying to, to hear like a variety of perspectives of what worked for them. Yeah. I think there's always hope. And I think it's going to look different. Like is, is it going to look the same as like, I mean, it's also like what your platform is, right? Like, yeah. you know, and also like, has, you know, also your style, like I'm, I have a fight response and <laughs> fight response, you know? And so like, I deal with things by like staring them dead in the eye, you know, <laughs> and, like not everybody is that confrontational and wants right. to do it that way. And I don't think that that has to be the way that you do it. But personally, I do think that it is a good way to sort of like use your fight response positively. I'll tell you PR consultants that I met with <laughs> told me not to yeah. talk, told me to just like, pretend like, and I, I think there's different strategies. Like, are, mm -hmm. what are we talking? Are we talking a business strategy? Are we talking like a mental health strategy? Like, what are we, whatever I right. need for my mental health and for the safety of myself and my family, like I needed to start speaking up. Um, and, and I also felt from a business perspective because, you know, we had referring providers who are like, right. you know, questioning whether they can refer their clients to us. Um, so, but, but like, I, again, yeah, I just, 
I just think it, it depends. Like what, what is gonna help you be here? And, and that's the thing I think about. You see me saying it all the, all the time, like what is gonna help this person be here? Yeah. right and stay um and and I, not to be dramatic but it is dramatic like we're talking about people questioning living yeah, you know and so absolutely. what is going to help them be here who the fuck cares about whatever like what's going to help you be here and stay here and live your life um maybe it's not doing it publicly on social media totally. like you or myself or starting a podcast but what is it going to be so that you can live your life and yeah. be here yeah. and take care of your family and do what you need to do yeah and i mean i think it's interesting because like really part of part of the logic of the nexus around cancel culture is you know this this contradictory simultaneous claim that it doesn't exist and that it's okay. also like really good right and so what that what that means for people who are on the receiving end of it is that they're you know there's like a there's like a heavy pressure to either um you know pretend that it isn't happening um right. which is to like live in denial about it you know um, or at least like um, like accept the denial about it that is sort of like really rampant in the nexus, or to um, accept the humiliation and mistreatment that is being done to you and to go along with it, to play along with right. it, you know, and to participate in, in it even. Um, and I think that both of those options are really bad for you mentally and spiritually and emotionally. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like to just pretend that you're not being abused when you are is like mm -hmm. a really awful feeling when you know that you're doing it and also right. yeah i mean obviously to go along with your own uh, your own degradation and, and dehumanization is uh right. is a really awful thing to be forced to do and so definitely i think that um naming what it is what it is that's happening to you is is a really powerful move um just in terms of standing up for yourself you know mm -hmm. um and and living in reality and like insisting yeah. insisting on living in reality um right. and also exactly. like and also you know not only naming what's happening to you but also being like and i think that this is fucking wrong and i don't accept it actually you know totally and and that part i do feel like i'm i'm proud of myself for having mm -hmm. done that and, and I, I feel like i'm repeating myself but i again i have such gratitude to, to you two for the work you're putting out and the timing of it that i came across it um, but like, you know, it got to the point where I'm like, I, I mean, I said that to my, my colleague friends, I was like, I, I need to say the truth. Like, can we, can we, can we talk reality? Like what's actually real? Like I didn't do this thing. Right. And this is not okay. Right. So I, I need to start speaking up and, um, and, you know, again, like, and one of the PR consultants who went through a cancellation herself, um, had like advised me not to like, to be quiet, like just to be quiet for six months <laughs> right? and which, which like like, I think sometimes is good, right? Like, I think that has worked for some people. Again, it all depends. Yeah. But like, I run a, a, a private practice and there's, there's people who depend on me being able to, I do the ma majority of our marketing and our work, you know, yeah. like I can't just disappear my practice, right? Like yeah. there's people that are trying to like feed their kids based on working and seeing clients, you know, like this yeah. and, and like, fuck that, that like, I need to like, shut up and not, you know, tell my story when I didn't fucking do anything wrong. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, one of those people, um, she came back seeing how I did it and said, like, if I could do it over again, I would do what you did that I would speak up because she, her, her thing was not doing that. Um, and sort of cowing to whatever. And, yeah. um, but again, I, I, I think it depends. You know? I also think that the the tenor of all this has changed over the past decade. Yes, and I think that I think that five years ago, like you could really get away with just kind of like hunkering down for a little bit. But like the way that it's ramped up in the past, especially the past two years with the pandemic and everyone just being locked in their fucking houses and uh, 
whatever, like living online has really, has really made a difference, but it's just in general, it's been growing in intensity. And I don't know these days, like, well, I don't know. First of all, actually, I think that, that there, there has been a big uh, backlash against it, like on the left, mm-hmm. which I think is awesome. Um, and I think that it's, it's starting to be like way more uh, feasible to actually stand up to it. But I would say that, yeah, like a year ago or two years ago, like if you were getting like hyper canceled on the internet, you can't just fucking like, like not talk about it, you know, like mm-hmm. people, people would go to like very great lengths mm-hmm. to make sure, to make sure that they were coming for you. Yeah. 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 I mean, and yeah, I just want to say before we move on from this topic that like, I have actually, there's a few people that I know of who have literally, they like, whereas I'm like, I'm going to mobilize my fight response. I've known some people who have mobilized their fight response in a mm. productive way where they literally mm-hmm. left the fucking country. Yeah. Um, yeah. Moved to a totally different place right. and, and sort of like left public life because for them, yeah. they didn't want to continue it. It wasn't worth right. it for them. Um, and I, and I have known some people who like, I genuinely think that that was healthy for them. Like they decided to just completely just change everything. Um, and they no longer wanted to have a public anything. And, but those people were still doing it in a way were standing up for themselves in the sense that they were like, with the people in their life, they were like, what is happening to me is wrong. Well, they had agency. I think, I think that's the key thing. Like I think about Poplar, right? Like in in her episode, like, Mm -hmm. you know, um, this is where I, I don't think there's a right way to do it. It's more about does the individual dealing with it have agency and autonomy about what yeah. they do next. It's the same thing when we're working with like assault victims or, you know, domestic violence victims. Like our job is not to tell them yes, press right. charges or don't press charges. Our job is not to tell them leave the guy or stay with him. It's to support them in whatever they choose to do. Their agency has been taken right. from them. We don't want to take even more of that agency. So yeah. I, I don't think there's a right way to respond when you're dealing with this. However you respond is my bigger thing is like, do you feel like you have agency or, or are you acting solely from a place of fear? Yeah. Um, sure. You know, I don't know. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. Well, um, that's all our questions. Wait, I, I want to just, I want to come back to one more thing and then, <laughs> okay. we'll, and then we'll end Let's it. Do it. <laughs> I just, I just feel that the, the one thing that kind of got left off and I just, I just want to sort of like leave on this note. And I just, maybe I want to ask what you think about this, Maria, because we kind of were like, what about people who are canceled who are seeking a therapist, right? And I just think oh, yeah. that so yeah. many people who are listening to this podcast are canceled. Yeah. And, are, and a lot of them, you know, I've been like, get a therapist. And, and I think mm-hmm. people are intimidated and they don't know how. So I just, I want to give people some concrete advice in some capacity. So I just wonder what right. you think about this. I'm just going to throw out the suggestion. Yeah. Because I often, when I, when I tell people how to look for a therapist, you know, one of the things that I tell people to do is to sort of like list in the email or whatever, when they're introducing themselves and, and they're, and they're making the re- initial request, sort of list the non-negotiables, which for me, I'm always like, I'm polyamorous. I'm queer. Um, I need a therapist who understands they, them pronouns. These are some things that I need my therapist. And of course they, they have to be a trauma therapist, but like they need to have at least a working knowledge of those things. But, but I'm, I'm more flexible on some than others. And what I'll often do is I'll be like, look, this topic, polyamory, is very important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you don't know about it, I'm willing to sort of like send you a couple links mm-hmm. and uh, and to hear what you think. But I need a sort of a sense of what you think about it before I can move forward with a therapeutic relationship. So I kind of wonder if a similar approach might work for cancel culture if you are already canceled and you're looking for a therapist to write to a therapist and to say, one of the issues I want to work on in therapy is this experience that I'm going through. Here's what cancel culture is. Here's the fucking cancel podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I need a therapist who's going to be like basically on my side. Yeah. I, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, like, sure. I mean, we have that happen. We have people email all the time with like some specific, right? Like some like, Hey, do you understand this? Yeah. Or, you know, 
do you have an understanding? And, I th- and a, a good ethical therapist will be honest about yeah. like, no, I don't, or yes, I do, or no, but I'm willing to learn. Yeah. So yeah, like, sure. I mean, like, what's the risk of doing that? They say no. So I, yeah. I don't think there's any risk of like, you know, the worst thing is the therapist says like, I, I mean, and I think it'd be so crappy y'all if they did this, like worst thing would be, they say, oh, I don't work with canceled people. You know, like, I mean, like, which, yeah. which, but truly like, I think is like, why are you in this field? Like, you yeah. know, like who's not been, you know, I don't know. And also so, that's good yeah. for the canceled person to know ahead of time. So you're not opening your heart to someone who, who thinks that, or they might say, I yeah. don't think cancel culture is real or something like that. But like, I think that, yeah, that might be a proactive way. I think it's sure. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, you know, and, and I can, I can think of even before this year, before going through whatever, where people would email stuff like that, like, Hey, and, and, you know, maybe do it in like vague terms to, they're trying to see, like, like, for example, I actually, I remember someone, um, it was a fellow who, um, emailed, um, uh, just editing, like, um, sort of sharing that he had had an affair and like, right. You sort of wanting to make sure I wasn't going to judge, you know? And again, this is my, you know, ethics. This is my approach. Like, I'm like, yeah, I'm happy to support you. You know, as long as there's no one in imminent danger of harm and whatever, like, I, I don't see it as my job. These are things are very complex, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, um, so yeah, no, I think, you know, you know, a good therapist can handle you telling them what you need, you know? Yeah. And, um, and if they can't, that that's information, you know? Yeah, like, totally. Okay, good. I'm glad we covered yeah. that. Um, so is there ways that people can support you, find out more about your work? Where should people look you up, et cetera? Um, I mean, like, um, we're based in North Carolina in the state. So if you're in North Carolina, we can provide counseling to you. We, um, sometimes do some coaching outside of the states training, um, three birds counseling, uh, or excuse me. Yeah. www.threebirdscounseling.com is the website. It's with underscore this underscore body on Instagram. And I have um, a Google doc for people who are going through this uh, that has a ton of resources on it um, that I add to as I listen to stuff. Um, So if you're going through this and you need support, there's a lot of things in there. Um, A lot of the stuff that's been on this podcast end up on there. Um, So yeah, I think that's it. Where's the Google doc? Where can they find the Google doc? Uh, it's in the, so it's in the prof, it's in my profile link. Okay. Okay. We'll Instagram. find it in the show. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Cool. Okay. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, yeah. Maria. It was a pleasure having you on the pod. Thank you. Thanks y'all.